Everyone's talking about the media strategy that HubSpot is now taking on, but what really frustrates me is we're not understanding the why. And the why is the most important part because this isn't just a willy-nilly vanity exercise in them trying to get some good street cred. It's actually part of the evolution of inbound marketing. From ProfitWell Recur, it's Protect the Hustle, where we explore the truth behind the strategy and tactics of B2B SaaS growth to make you an outstanding operator. On today's episode, we're examining media strategies. Patrick, take it away. Welcome back to another episode of Protect the Hustle. This is the B-Sides. Voice you're hearing, face you're not seeing is Patrick Campbell, CEO founder of ProfitWell. A couple of housekeeping items. I am now in Miami. I hate the heat, so this is the thing that I'm doing for love, going to Florida during the Utah winter. But I'm in Miami, and I'm checking out what all the hype is about. And so if you're here, you want to hang out, let me know. I will report back to all of you who are not in Miami what all the hype is and what's going on. Another thing, tomorrow, so this is airing on Thursday, if you're hearing this later in life, but tomorrow the team is releasing another drop. So we started doing drops, and I don't think I'm supposed to tell you this, but if it involves a lot of physical pain on my end, so look out for that. And if you go to profwell.com slash drops, you can get on the list so you can get alerted first thing Friday morning for the drop. I think it's a pretty cool drop, but it does involve some pain on my end. And so maybe it's not so cool. And then also, I'm not really sure how these posts are being received. We're doing some that are a little bit more cultural, a little more exec development, and then some that are going deep on data or frameworks. Let me know. And we're literally measuring success by you sharing this on social. So please do that. Take ProfitWell, take me, whatever makes sense. I just want to make sure you're getting value. And then the topic today, we're going to be going through a framework for you becoming a media company, including why you should probably abandon your current inbound strategy and move to media. And I wrote this doc about three years ago when we changed ProfitWell's strategy from inbound marketing, but I thought everyone would enjoy it, mainly because uh, HubSpot recently bought a media company for the very reasons we're going to talk about. And just for context, two weeks ago... HubSpot bought The Hustle, which is basically a media company, a community for entrepreneurs. And everyone's talking about it, but people aren't really talking about the why or trying to understand the why. And what's great is, as I've already mentioned, we've been building this media network for the last couple of years as a software company. It's called ProfitWell Recur. It's soft launched out there. We're going to do a bigger launch hopefully in the next month or so. But it's been a three-year journey, and I wanted to share why we started doing this why we abandoned the traditional inbound marketing strategy and moved to this media strategy. And to set the stage, all of this is from three years ago. I've redacted a couple of things because, you know, I just can't share everything, all of our secrets. But if you come work here, you can get all the secrets. But I was the only person doing marketing before this up until this point. And then we were going to build out a larger team and actually start building out our go-to-market function. And it was just a big game of, okay, what should we do? And so this is a lot of research that kind of came to be. I also think it's a really good example of, you know, first principle thinking. And so I'm going to jump in with a pretty hard left turn here, but I promise you it is all worth it. So we're going to start by talking about insurgencies and specifically the Iraq war. So my background, for those of you who don't know, is in econometrics and math. It's very much in a research background as well, but I did start my career working in U.S. intelligence, and so all of these kind of came together for some really good research around content marketing, and I promise I'll, I'll kind of explain that in a second. But at ProfitWell, we have these two 
core axioms. We have more axioms, but there's two of them that, that are kind of relevant today. One is think from first principles, and the second is always seek and increase your leverage. We're a bootstrap company. We are a company that is basically not going to just hire 30 people for a particular endeavor. At one point, we will, whether we're bootstrapped or not. But it is one of those things where we, we are always looking to seek our leverage. And as we embark on kind of setting up our marketing vision and direction, we needed to find a strategy that gave us maximum ROI while fulfilling our goal of attracting subscription companies to our product. They definitely cover us as well. One, we don't throw around cash. Even if we weren't bootstrapped, we're still very analytical and strategic. It's just kind of in our DNA, so we don't like waste. And that doesn't mean we aren't willing to bet big or aren't willing to spend money. It just means that we have to have some sort of calculable like impact, even if it's still qualitative, that we would expect for spending that cash. Our logo TAM, total addressable market, is small. Our revenue TAM is expanding exponentially. The amount of revenue that's coming in on subscription businesses is just growing crazily. But right now, there's only about 100 to maybe 150,000 subscription companies in the world, and that number is not growing quickly. And that includes all types of subscriptions, B2B SaaS, subscription e-commerce, consumer subscriptions. And then we also sell, and this is the third big constraint, we sell very consideration or trust products. Our products, they have buyer consideration and buy-in. Even if our sales cycle ends up being relatively small or very product-led, it's not something where someone's coming in and you know buying something off of a television ad for $19.99 or something like that. So trust is super important. And so with those constraints in mind, I centered our research, this is three years ago, on studying marketing trends, but also going to the bedrock and understanding the tactics and strategies used in extreme scenarios to quickly win over groups. And the reason I started here is because the human psychology of community is in our DNA at this point. You know, it's not something that's necessarily, you know, going to develop all of a sudden over the next 10 years. The tactics will, but, you know, the actual innate pieces of us are kind of baked at this point, no matter, you know, the origin story that you believe in. We're pretty baked. And so with that, if we strictly studied marketing, the body of knowledge isn't really wide enough and it's too subtle and nuanced to give us the results we're looking for. So if we look at an extreme shift in community, meaning a community that went from you know, hate to love or vice versa, we're going to get more signal and less noise into the most effective strategies. And you don't really find that in marketing, academic research, or studies. And so while going deep on you know, Google Scholar, which honestly, as a side note, is where I like to start when I'm really going after first principles of thinking about something from kind of those first steps. But I started going deeper on things like cults, religions, particularly through a media lens. It was interesting, but the richest research that actually was around the psychology of insurgencies, and particularly in the context of the Iraq war. And I get this is a memo about you know, Profile's marketing strategy, but just bear with me a moment. I promise we're going to come back around. But to give you a little bit of reminiscing of history, when coalition forces, and just to be clear, I'm not going to go deep, deep, deep into everything that happened. We're talking about this again from a marketing lens. So I'm not going to go into all the merits and all this other fun stuff. I just you know, want to use this as a specific example here. But when coalition forces invaded Iraq in the early 2000s, an old school kind of methodology was used of shock and awe, right? Some of you who are old enough might remember that. But the strategy was essentially to bomb the area so much that the Iraqi forces would just be awed and shocked into just giving up and simply accepting their new hierarchy. And what was really kind of fascinating is that this is akin to most direct response type sales and marketing. 
in a 30-minute infomercial, my goal is to shock and awe you into believing that you need the product by, you know, peppering you with how awesome it is, showing you people who, you know, have become awesome by using its features. And again, war and marketing, very different outcome and aims, but the approach is very single move minded. That's kind of where we have this crossover, where in traditional kind of war, you know, basically having that single move, you know, it made sense, you know, 100 years ago. But Today, and especially given some of the context of people just in general, you know, single move thinking is what got these coalition forces in trouble in Iraq. Because if we were just going to leave or install a puppet government like previous shock and awe campaigns, the approach would have quote unquote worked. And again, not discussing the merits of war, obviously devastating in so many levels, but from kind of an outcome perspective would have worked. But instead, these tactics created what's known as an insurgency. Basically, you would radicalize civilians who took up arms and they fought against troops in an exceptionally resentful way for obvious reasons again. So the tactics needed to change because coalition forces were losing. And rather than win by force and fear, essentially what ended up happening is, is that the coalition forces changed and learned that they needed to, quote unquote, win the hearts and minds of the community. And so instead of bombs and air raids, U.S. intelligence forces started just paying off through straight up cash just paying off tribal chieftains in both Afghanistan and Iraq. Troops distributed candy and food to local families. And then Navy and Army construction battalions focused not on, hey, just building you know, up the bases, but not only building up the bases, but also helping the local community with things like fixing utilities, fixing people's homes, these types of things. And so the result was that coalition forces were able to win the hearts and minds of these communities. And these communities not only agreed to stop fighting the coalition, but also helped them basically go after the truly bad actors in the region. And the basic TLDR here is that love takes longer to foster, but it's ultimately more effective than fear. And so that in mind, what in the world does this have to do with marketing at ProfitWell? <laughs> well, given our constraints, our goal is to win the hearts and minds of the subscription community. And we need to do this by providing tremendous value to the community that ultimately builds trusts. And so I went deep on kind of analyzing the literature over the insurgency strategy and also kind of leveraged some of the lessons I learned when I worked in U.S. intelligence. And basically, creating an effective insurgency strategy comes down to two primary axes. You need to create reciprocity and partnership by giving away value. And second, you want to boost your brand through media that engenders trust. It doesn't have to necessarily be mass media, but it doesn't need to be media. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But let's first talk about this reciprocity through you know, giving value away. So creating reciprocity through providing value for free is pretty easy to understand. If you've read you know, the book Influence, which you know, everyone recommends, he talks about that a lot. But the basic idea is those who give us gifts, we tend to view positively and we feel obliged to repay them in some way. And like all you know, things, there's always different varying levels of effectiveness but, you know, if I give you a free toaster for opening a checking account, it's probably not as effective as a friend, you know, being there for you without you even asking for help. Essentially, there's a higher payoff for, you know, quote, help for help's sake versus a clear exchange of I'll give you this if you do this. And given we're predisposed to being helpful and share what we learn, you know, what our, our market appreciates, what the subscription market appreciates, we're going to lean towards providing a constant stream of value for free. And this is altruistic, yes because we're being a good steward in our industry, but this is also good for business. And so the way that we've done this at ProfitWell, this is kind of was foreshadowing through the business, is the first thing is ProfitWell metrics and other products are going to be free. 
we basically, you know, looked at freemium as the future. I've talked about that a lot. You can't really get me writing an article on the analysis of the subscription market without talking about freemium in some way. But you got to think about your product is the best content that you have at attracting your target customer. Old school operators, they loathe giving away value because they cut their teeth in this single move world that only thought about conversion through push sales and push marketing. There also wasn't just as much pressure and density and distribution, but our world is very different now. There's more competition for attention than ever, so you do need to pull these users in. And so with Profitable Metrics, we're providing all the subscription financial metrics a subscription company needs, and we set out to make it better than our paid competition. And we will continue to develop this product forever to the point that it's not just the best financial metrics product out there, but it's also the best business intelligence product out there for subscription companies. And it's all going to be free. And being better than the paid competition, just as a side note, is exceptionally important because in freemium, we're still fighting the perception of free being bad. And this perception is waning really rapidly. But if your product is not only free, but it's better than the competition, there's a double whammy of delight for that user. And so we need to relish and we do and did relish in the feedback that says, hey, I can't believe I'm getting this for free or I feel bad that I'm not paying you. And the result is, is that we therefore win the hearts and minds of folks. And then users recommend us to their peers. They also are more than willing to get on the phone with us to learn about our paid offerings. And the added benefit is that this data is also a really crucial piece in our virtuous product circle where we study the data and deploy that knowledge and that understanding into our paid products. And there's more of this in kind of our product memos, which I'm not sharing obviously today, but it is one of those things, you know, that we have kind of more on that. And I'm more than happy to go into that if people ask. The second big piece of the reciprocity aspect is taking every call, speaking at every event, answering every question. We can deepen reciprocity through value by you know, just being helpful. The second best answer to what does ProfitWell do is, I don't know, but they know their stuff and are extremely helpful. You should talk to them. And even in a world of inbound marketing, this is currently not an accepted practice. Most advice revolves around protect your time, filter out the bad leads, conferences are a waste of time, etc. And while we need to be smart about our time, and we definitely are given our core axiom of you know seeking and increasing our leverage, these pieces of advice oftentimes foster that single move mindset. Growth is that multi-move mindset. Bad leads, no good leads. Powerful, helpful keynotes spread and garner referrals. You know, this whole concept of help sells. So in that vein, our sales and support teams answer any pricing or retention question that comes in. And we also provide pricing and retention audits, even for leads that we know cannot afford our prices. We definitely triage the folks we know aren't going to be great fits and don't pretend we know answers to you know companies, questions outside of our core competencies, yet we still provide these folks help so that we can look at as the hub of subscription growth. And our marketing approach is also geared towards you know providing a ton of value. We have to give subscription operators answers through exceptionally deep and actionable plans around subscription retention and monetization. So our North Star here is people not believing we're giving away or people just they can't handle how much we're giving away so much in terms of our playbooks and we're doing it all for free. So that's kind of how we create that reciprocity. And some of you know that that's, you know, that's how you got, you know, sucked into being a profitable customer or at least a user or referring us folks. And, you know, there, there is that altruistic piece of it because I think that, you know, I just want to be a helpful human being. I think our brand is just benefited by that, but it's also really good for business. Now, the second piece and the piece that we started with is just really the concept of media, right? And the second piece of an insurgency is really making sure you're boosting that brand through media that engenders trust. And so the reason that this is so powerful is that as we set out on kind of expanding the marketing team beyond just, you know, me writing a blog post each week, and that's what I was doing three years ago, 
we found that the media strategy was going to be the most powerful, most hedged kind of next evolution of inbound because media is better than traditional inbound marketing in almost every single way because inbound is losing a lot of its effectiveness. And the one thing that I have in this memo that I think is funny to point out is this fun footnote where I basically said, if HubSpot is smart, they'll rebrand inbound as media. And this is the most likely scenario based on the data we're seeing in the market, I said. My fear is that they'll end up getting too addicted to the teat of offers, but maybe they buy a media company. And so I said that three years ago, and I'm really glad it happened because it's you know validating in multiple different ways. But it was pretty cool to kind of you know see that when I was revisiting this memo you know, basically last week after the announcement. But to kind of pick things back up, you know, the basic idea is when it's inbound, everyone is running the same playbook. They're writing better, deeper content. Higher quality isn't bad, don't get me wrong. But given the deluge of content out there, the approach is heading to just another plank, if you will, in the platform of online advertising. Put another way, inbound marketing is basically going to be the equivalent of, you know, Google search ads. That's where it's heading. And yeah, it's better than just Google search ads in some ways and these types of things, but that's where it's headed. You know, and on the other hand, media companies are the best in the world at driving traffic and audience. They're the worst at monetizing that traffic. B2B SaaS companies, on the other hand, are pretty lazy at driving traffic, but they're pretty darn good at monetizing that traffic. So the idea is just to combine the best of both worlds. And I'm not just, you know, think tanking this idea. I went deep on the data. And so let's compare kind of the media strategy to an inbound strategy for a moment. And keep in mind, this data, you know, I've looked into updating it, but it's remained fairly the same, at least trending in the same direction. So let's talk first about traditional inbound marketing. So traditional inbound marketing, for those who haven't thought of it this way, the basic idea is you're running what's called a wheel strategy. You take a content offer, an ebook, a webinar, industry paper, something like that. You atomize the content and distribute it through email, social ads, et cetera, to then drive people to that offer. The entire goal is for someone to fill out a form and give you their contact information in exchange for the offer. You then nurture that lead through lead scoring and your sales team, and the wheel just kind of keeps going on. Now, when the inbound marketing wave started, it was a reaction to the push tactics of sales and marketing in the late 90s and early 2000s. Emails still had this like tinge of, ah, it'd be pretty rude for me not to answer or at least look at someone's email because, you know, it's just like snail mail, right? That was the mindset. And it was also riding the wave of more and more information being sought by consumers before they were making a purchase. You used to have to trust the salesperson, right? And this is where all the stereotypes around sales folks came. But now I could do some Googling and I could do some research and all of a sudden discover, oh, I want to get this brand versus this brand because of this reason. The issue is that density is now at an all-time high, and this was true three years ago, and it's even more true today. You can find out basically anything through a search. Everyone has at least a blog, and most have responded with higher quality content, treating SEO essentially like a machine. And this is really, really great for consumers, and it's not bad for businesses, but when you look at the business context, inbound marketing has lost a lot of leverage, which was bound to happen. Put another way, it used to be the strategy that when you were doing it, you were getting such good payoff for the work that you're putting in, and now you're just getting less of that payoff. So it doesn't mean it's bad. It doesn't mean you should stop doing it. It just means that it's not as effective anymore. So here are some numbers from the research. The effective life of an ebook, which is essentially one of the core offers that a lot of people use, has gone down from 6.2 months three years ago to 1.8 months today. Basically, that's the effectiveness of if you put an ebook out there, how long is it going to take to kind of just have middling or just poor results? And you're going to have ebooks that basically feed you, you know, the entire history of your company. But again, that pop that you're going to get isn't going to be as much today as it was, you know, a number of years ago. 
the max average touch points per lead per week from inbound has gone from 3.1 to 1.4. Meaning if I look at all my leads, the max amount of touch points that I could expect has gone from you know a nice healthy three to basically a one. And this is largely driven by the expectation that you can't send emails more than maybe, maybe twice a week if it's really good content because it's just a deluge of so much out there. And social had a nice little sweet spot for us, bringing us more traffic, but that's also lost a lot of its effectiveness because they're not really passing traffic through as much as you'd want because they have an incentive to keep you on those platforms. And the other thing that's really interesting is that the cost to create an offer has gone from about $1,000, $1.2,000 per offer to about $10,000, $10.4,000. And this is driven largely by rising salaries, design costs, quality of expectations, etc. And this is not just like taking your blog post and making it into a PDF. This is actually a creating a, a decent offer. And so again, inbound marketing is still amazing and we're going to continue to do it at ProfitWell, but we should not expect the outsized gains we once did. Instead, we want to change the system we run and approach something that is much, much higher leverage. And media is that system. So instead of putting an offer at the center of the strategy, and we're going to be talking about it running a media strategy now, media centers on building an audience. Your goal isn't to chase the spikes and long tails of an offer attracting leads. It's to move your audience count up and to the right. It's exceptionally effective at this as well. And for those of you who are at protectthehustle.com and actually looking at the written version of this, what you're seeing is essentially the inbound strategy is you have these offers. So imagine you have an offer every single month or every quarter, let's say. You'll have a spike of downloads, a spike, and then all of a sudden there's this long tail of people kind of going off. Whereas with a media strategy, you're essentially moving and constantly compounding that audience and moving it up and to the right. And the key difference here is that media centers around shows or some sort of like episodic type content. You attract an audience on a given topic or outcome and then episodically entertain and educate that audience towards that topic or outcome. For instance, we can create a show that teaches people how to set up their subscription pricing strategy over a season of 13 episodes, which is basically a quarter. We can also create a show that does a case study each week on the pricing strategy of a company. For those of you who are kind of seeing the foreshadowing here, the latter basically became our show Pricing Page Teardown, which we have, you know, 100,000 plus people watch every single month when it's in season, which is kind of insane. Now, here are the benefits, and they're threefold. For media, first up, it creates a rhythm and anticipation. Also has this effect of binging that Netflix obviously discover. So shows build from episode to episode. And done right, we'll be able to track our personas more effectively through boosting our brand. We'll also be associated with the topics we create shows around through kind of this level of quality and education. We're going to have binging that takes place, and it's going to create a deeper connection with our leads and our community. Second big benefit here of media is there's multiple mediums. We can have shows that are in multiple mediums. We can have a written newsletter that's also an audio podcast and has a video. Users can choose how they want to consume the content, and we're not making the decision for them. So for instance, this show right now, some of you are listening to this. Well, actually, all of you are listening to this if you're listening to this, but some of you don't even listen to this podcast, and you just simply read the email that we send that basically has almost the exact same content, basically in written form, but you can choose the medium you want. And depending on the topic, maybe you go back and forth, a more data focused post, you're going to go into the written form, a more, you know, kind of exec development post, you're just going to listen to the podcast. And the third big benefit here of media is there's multiple shows. So we'll start small, but multiple shows earn the right to be in our leads inbox every single day. 
media companies get a different perception than traditional blogs. Some users will want content three times per week. Others will want it once per week. And regardless, we increase our average touch points that we can expect over time. So let's look at back at that data. So how do costs and effectiveness compare? So the max average touch points per lead per week. Remember, in traditional inbound marketing, you're basically at 1.4 right now. Well, Bloomberg is at 5.2. The Skim is at 4.4. At ProfitWell, we will be happy with anything over three. That means that we're getting, on average, or a max average, which is a little more complicated, we're essentially getting three touch points per week for the leads that we care about, which is huge. Now, in terms of costs, the current estimates, and basically this turned out to be pretty right, put the cost of a season of a show, so 13 episodes of a show, under $10,000. So if we get a show, 13 episodes, 13 videos, let's say, or 13 audio podcasts for $10,000, that's the same price as an offer. So if this fails, or this is what we felt three years ago, the cost feels like a good hedge. Because at the very least, we will have 13 really good, high-quality pieces of video or audio compared to just an ebook, right? And maybe it completely fails. It's not going to be a failure from a brand perspective, right? That was the idea. Now, what we found is that some of the shows we produce, they actually have much, much less cost. So ProfitWell Report, the cost of that show was somewhere around, I think, like $4,000 per season, and there's some other shows that we're definitely going to be spending a lot more money on, but that's given the fact that we hedged this strategy going forward. Now, when we red teamed this three years ago, what has me worried, or as I said here, and what do we need to figure out? So the concerns really fall into two buckets. So the mechanical concern is that creating quality content is not easy, of course not, and we don't have the budget to hire 30 people. So BuzzFeed, they were starting a show right around then, and that was the number of people they hired for their show. Obviously, they have a lot more cash than we do. But beyond this, we also need to find a way to build multiple shows in different formats, cadences, and quality levels. We're not just going to hire multiple people for a team. We need to make sure that we are hedging in the right direction. And that's just going to take some time. But we got to start small. The first thing we did is we brought on a video producer instead of a content manager as that first hire. And we just started by basically having someone convert or having us, you know, myself and him, a guy named Ben Hillman, who's still with us today, which is great basically, you know, take that blog post and turn it into a video. That's how we started, which was really, really powerful. The other thing here is there's distribution concerns. No one's really done this in B2B before. You know, Wistia has kind of done this. We were actually doing shows even before Wistia was. We were working with them a lot. We kind of parallel saw the future and I'm good friends with Brendan and Chris over there. And so we were talking about this, but there's a perception in B2B of one email per week, right? Will we get the binging? We'll be able to kind of break that one email per week, you know, even if we get both of these, is there enough distribution to justify continuing the effort? I don't know. It's really, really hard. It's really hard to know that. And these are some really important questions. And to be really honest with you, we figured out some of these, but we haven't figured out all of these yet at ProfitWell. Thankfully, the number one concerns now versus the other concerns that we had previously. So I anticipate we'll get to the end of that probably in the next couple of quarters, which is great. The way we looked at it is there's going to be bumps but if we fail completely, we're going to have really, really good, high-quality, media-rich content that no one else is really doing. And so that was enough for us to justify, all right, let's move forward one to two headcount plus me and just see how much we can push. And then we'll evolve from there. And now the team is six total, but that includes distribution as well. So it's not a huge team, which is great, and we're able to produce a ton. Now, what I'm going to walk through is a little bit of a framework from this memo of how we kind of produce content, how we think about it. 
I'm going to redact some of this just for the sake of, you know, again, I'm all about transparency, but internally transparency is a hundred percent externally is probably about 80% for a bunch of reasons, but that's a good debate. If you want to get into, you know, transparency, the merits externally, long story short, we have three targets in ProfitWell. We have B2B SaaS and prosumer. So these are companies like our customers in that set. They include folks like Notion, Schneider Electric, Big Commerce, these types of folks. They typically are serving either a company or someone who's doing some sort of work. We have consumer subscriptions. So these companies sell to consumers of all kinds of sizes. There's a lot of sub-verticals in consumer subscriptions. So education, fitness, nonprofits, media, entertainment. So our example customers in that world, we got folks like Masterclass, Stars, The Athletic, Change.org. And then subscription e-commerce. So these are like physical goods sold on an episodic basis. And so some of our customers are like Dr. Squatch, Hubble Contacts, Hunt a Killer, a lot of pet food brands, these types of things. And then we have three types of core content. So we have retention content. So this is folks who we want to eventually get on our Profile Retain product. We have our pricing content. These are folks we eventually want to be using Profile's Price Intelligently product. And then we kind of have this general bucket, which is basically folks just getting washed over with our brand, but also getting on metrics and some of our other products. And so the basic idea here is that we have this cross-section, right? So we have these three types of verticals, three types of content. We want a show or some sort of good content in every single one of those buckets. So this is what we set out to do. Right now, we've fulfilled, I think, half of the grid for the most part, more of the grid, depending on how you look at it. We have consumer subscriptions and B2B. We can kind of get away with combining some of that content. This piece of content you're listening to right now, this is part of the general bucket for B2B SaaS. And so it's one of those things where that's kind of was the guiding light. And that was a big unlock when we kind of focused on filling those buckets and kind of starting in the right bucket as we kind of moved on. Now, in terms of guiding principles and the types of shows and contents we produce, there's kind of four main buckets that we think through and we kind of filter most product decisions around content through. The first is expertise, domain authority. Our whole thing based on that trust point is we got to sound smart, but approachable. So we got to break things down. The second one here is also community journalism and kind of a local focus. So this is something that we learn kind of in the research. The most successful newspaper in the United States I don't know if it's still around, but it was the most successful. And I think maybe the family wanted to get out of it at some point just to kind of retire. But their whole strategy was we're going to print as many names and publish as many faces as humanly possible of the local community. We're not going to publish things on national events. We're not going to publish things on even regional events. We're going to focus on what are known these chicken dinner stories like, oh, you know, the local, you know, chapter of whatever hosted a chicken dinner and Sally and Judy were there, you know, those types of stories. And so that's kind of our approach. We want, you know, people want to see themselves. They want to see their companies. They want to see their competitors, their frenemies, their enemies in this content. So we do focus a lot on like talking about people and showing people as well. Third big piece here is action, always action and takeaways. So we do the work or we want to do the work for our readers, our listeners, et cetera. Like what should they be doing? What should they be implementing? And then the fourth piece I am going to redact just because of, unfortunately, it's a really good one. I mean, I know that's teasing, but it's important to kind of protect our internal stuff. But the basic idea is each show should have an element of each of these or go directly or incredibly deep on them. And the point is, is that when we do these four things, it helps position us as the subscription company. Now, in terms of team and last couple of points here, basically we separate our team into kind of a couple of different buckets. So we have, you know, four different kind of types of content amongst that grid. 
meaning so we have upscale shows so these are like really highly produced they're supposed to look amazing type shows we have spread content so these are more like targeted towards you know getting someone to sign up for something or getting someone with you know kind of a longer term volume play so this is like a spread show right you get two episodes a week the quality bar is high but it's not like as high as our pricing page teardown show and most of this type of content should be outsourced so what i mean by that is all the creative pieces. So I actually wrote what you're seeing. I wrote most of it three years ago, of course, but I wrote this and then all of the production is basically outsourced so that, you know, we send off this recording and then it comes back, right? Whereas our upscale shows, we will heavily write things, we'll figure stuff out, we'll go through iterations, we'll work on all the graphics, these types of things, those upscale folk shows, that's where it is. And then we also have drops, events, and product launches types of things. So these are, you know, more experienced and splashy, right? So we want to be where we are now the first B2B company to do kind of supreme style drops. You know, our event game will be, you know, it is and has been one of the best kind of sponsors of events. We definitely don't pay the most in terms of sponsorship, but we always have the best effect. Saster, the last Saster that was in person, we definitely did not, you know, we weren't the top sponsor in terms of level, but we got the most leads. We know that. Same thing for Stastock and some of these other events. We're really, really good at that experience. And then the fourth, and then we also have product launches as well here. And the fourth piece, I'm going to redact this one as well, just because, again, got to protect some of the internal stuff. But if you want to come work here and hang out, you can get all the secrets. And then our creative production team. So that's another kind of role. It sits kind of under all of this. So creative production is more of just like making sure things look good, making sure things uh, sound right having a good design palette for things and kind of more of the graphical interface of things. And then the final piece I want to talk through and then we can wrap up is distribution. So this has been our least developed area. Last quarter is when we really went all in on, you know, this is the last big piece of the puzzle is making sure. And it's not that there weren't experiments in the past three years. It's just now we're like doing a lot of the experimentation on distribution. So we organize our team for distribution in kind of outcomes so we have a zero to lead outcome. So this is like people have never heard of us getting them to be a lead. We have lead to demo. This is kind of taking leads, making them opportunities. Demo to close, which is basically sales. And then close to happiness, which is basically customer success. So we want, you know, basically a growth manager for each of those outcomes. And then basically these teams will kind of mitotically, you know, evolve. So all of a sudden, you know, for example, zero to lead will probably expand into a separate social person as well as a separate demand gen person and so on and so forth. And so that team will kind of grow kind of in the Belfort model of growth overall. And the order of operations here, I think, is most interesting for a lot of you. We started with just email, and that's where the bulk of distribution has been, just our existing list. We also have experimented a lot with partnering. And then kind of where we're at is partnering as well as social and demand gen. That's kind of the big piece of the puzzle we're working on now. And then the next iteration is basically community. So this order of operations was basically decided on, hey, we have to figure out the mechanics of producing things. We're not going to have as much time to do the distribution. And so what ended up happening is we wanted to measure like, what are the things that are going to cost us the least in terms of distribution, but give us enough of an impact, right? So our existing list is a really good example. Partnering is a really good example. And then all of a sudden, social and demand gen, that takes more effort, maybe higher payoff, don't get me wrong. But like, again, kind of that ROI is we're figuring out the mechanics. But that was the basic idea. And there's been a lot of like fun bumps along the road with this. I think we've done a really good job. I think like all things, if we did it over again, we probably could have shaved, you know, 20 to 30% of time off. But that's the nature of building is like sometimes you can't see the future quite yet. If I had to summarize this for all of you, though, I think that a couple of things to really keep in mind. For one, start small. 
I'm a big believer in everyone should be doing something with media. And what I would do is I would just start a podcast. Audio first allows you to kind of hide behind, you know, not having to worry about your face being out there. If you're a charismatic person or you have someone, you know, who's really high charisma on your team, but also knowledgeable, which don't always go together, like that person can just start a generic podcast and probably do really well. And the expectation is you're not looking to become a YouTube star here. And so a lot of people are like, oh, I started this and I'm only getting like 600 people a week listening to my podcast. And I was like, okay, so what's the best webinar you've ever done? Um, and a lot of B2B folks like, oh, like 100 people. And I was like, okay, so if you had a webinar essentially every single week that 600 people were coming to, like, would you be happy? Be like, oh, holy cow, yeah, it'd be awesome. Well, that's what you're doing. You're like literally between the ears of your leads and hopefully those people who can help you. And so that's why I always recommend start with just a podcast. If you don't have someone or you're not yourself as charismatic and it's okay, it's fine. I'm actually an incredible introvert. And so like I definitely resonate with those folks. I just did debate. That's why I went to the school I went to for college. And so I like got really well trained on a lot of this stuff. And that's why I can, you know, come off somewhat charismatic on a podcast, even if I'm not really that charismatic. But the basic idea is, is that if you don't have that charisma, it's okay. Structure and script is then going to be your friend. But I would start with a podcast, start with something small. Maybe it's just interviewing people on your team. Maybe it's just interviewing the leads you want to target. Maybe it's just interviewing someone, or maybe it's you putting together, you know, 10 to 15 minute clips of, you know, how to do X or how to do Y. If you want to do video, that's fine. But I recommend starting small. Podcast is relatively cheap, also relatively convince everyone to get on the same page with. And don't overthink like, oh, it's got to be perfect. It's got to look great. If you look at pricing page teardown, the original ones, it was just a simple set, like some wood we bought from Home Depot. And we just, I think it was one camera, we turned it on. And then we had like a TV as a monitor and basically just showed graphs and then talked about them. That's literally all it was. Now it's got some heavy scripting. It's got three, four cameras. It's got like all kinds of stuff and a set and stuff like that. But we built to that. We didn't start there. And so that's kind of where I would start. And I think that everyone who's listening to this should have a podcast of some sort and should be using that. And then you can build from there. But with that, I think I have talked everyone's ears off. I think the HubSpot move was great. I think that ultimately, when you're thinking about your business, media is the way to go if you're going to use content. And I think everyone's going to have to use content at some point. But let me know what you think. Respond to this email if you want to understand any questions. Or if you're not on the email, you can go to protectthehustle.com and sign up. But let me know how I can be helpful if you want me to go deeper here. I don't have to go deeper here, but I thought this was really interesting in the context of HubSpot making this move and a little subtle jab of, hey, we were here first HubSpot. But obviously they have a lot more money, especially as they crossed a billion in ARR, which is really powerful. So yeah, long story short, hit me up. If not, I'm just at PC at profwell.com. And I hope everyone has a phenomenal weekend. And if you got value out of this, make sure you share it on Twitter, LinkedIn, the social media network of your choice and tag us so we can kind of see it interact and all that kind of fun stuff. All right, we'll see y'all. Be well. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you left a five-star review of this podcast or the equivalent rating wherever you listen or watch. Also, make sure you subscribe to and tell your friends about Protect the Hustle, a podcast from ProfitWell Recur, the largest, fastest growing media network dedicated to the world of subscriptions. Thank you.